0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: In Acts chapter 17, verse 22, it says, So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For a while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The Apostle Paul was in Athens, and he had the rare opportunity to speak to a large group of people in a public setting. He was given a platform at the Areopagus to speak to the people about his God. This was a very unusual circumstance in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. In general, he was only able to reach out to a small handful of people at any given time, normally through one-on-one dialogue or himself and a small number of people that he would meet with in somebody's home or perhaps at the synagogue. But this time he has an opportunity to speak to a large group of people, and this is what he has to say. He begins by stating that he observes that they are very religious in all respects, But what does that mean to be religious in all respects? When we think of pagan religions, for example, or we think of pagan Greek philosophy, in most cases we look at it as an opportunity for people to indulge their flesh. In general, in Christianity, that's the bias that people normally hold to. They sincerely believe that Christianity is about trying to restrain the flesh, and other religions give people an opportunity to indulge the flesh. Well, that could be true in some cases, but in general, to use the word religious means something very different. To use the word religious, Paul is telling them that he acknowledges that they are pursuing a life of trying to restrain their flesh, of trying to be better people, of trying to be people who were virtuous to a certain degree. The word religious has the meaning of a system of bondage. In general, that's the definition for the word religious. It comes from the word religio. It means a system of bondage, which means that a person would identify a list of rules or regulations, a description of some sort that would restrain themselves, that would constrain themselves, that would keep them in a form of bondage so that they do not just do whatever they want to do, perhaps, this would be a system of bondage, as in a system of rules and regulations in order to restrain a person's flesh so that they could become a better person or a more righteous person, a virtuous person. This is what the word actually means. And so he's not approaching a group of people who are necessarily just wanting to indulge their flesh or violate other people or take advantage of situations in their lives for their own personal benefit at the expense of somebody else. These are not the kinds of people that he's speaking with. He's speaking to a group of people who do believe that there is a God, perhaps even many gods, and they do believe that to a certain degree they will be accountable to these gods, either in a future judgment or perhaps in a present life circumstance where they could be blessed or punished or cursed as a result of their behavior. In addition to that, as we continue to read, we see that they were building temples, and we know that they had temples in this area. They had temples that they constructed as a means of demonstrating their devotion and their determination to worship their God, to serve their God or their gods, to subject themselves to labor, to tax their wealth in terms of their contributions that they would make financially in order to support the religion that they wanted to support, And through that, they would demonstrate that they were definitely wanting to become better people. Now, certainly, this would give Paul a wonderful opportunity to use the scriptures, if he wanted to use the scriptures in this religious context, by saying, hey, you guys think that you've got a good list of rules and regulations that demonstrate righteousness and virtue? Why don't you try the law of Moses? This is a good set of laws. This is an additional religious system that you could try to live in obedience to, and the promises, the blessings that are offered through your obedience to all of the commandments are very well defined by this God, that you could potentially receive blessings from this God because you are very religious, if, of course, you would choose to subject yourself to this God and to his religious way. He could have used the scriptures in that context because, in effect, the law was given by our God as a means of demonstrating to us that there is no way that we can be right with him, that we can obtain or sustain our right standing with our God by our religious behavior, by our system of bondage that is designed to restrain us or to keep us from indulging our flesh. Instead, it would stir up more desires for more sin in our own personal lives through the various ways that the law will do that. Of course, the expectation is, is that through the law, therefore, we would be led to a point where we would recognize that we have absolutely no hope of ever experiencing a personal relationship with our God outside of his grace and mercy. But Paul uses this subject of religion initially to get their attention to say, I understand where you are at, I know where you are at, I know what is important to you, and I can appreciate what is important to you, and your desire to become very religious. But he proceeds to tell them about a very different God, and this is described beginning in verse 24, this is Acts chapter 17, verse 24, where he says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. To say that suggests that their construction of temples was certainly something that they could do in order to gain the attention or gain the favor of the gods that they have created in their own minds. However, the true God, the one who has made the heavens and the earth, this God is so big, he is so huge that he cannot be contained within a temple. Now, of course, we do have in the history of Israel that our God did dwell to a certain extent within the holy temple. ...that was constructed in Israel. He did dwell within the temple for a period of time. But that was just simply a limited manifestation of our God. The fullness of who he is could not possibly dwell just within one simple place. Our God is certainly much bigger than that. And perhaps they would agree that their God is bigger than that. However, they have a temple in order to have a distinct place where they would go and worship their God. And that's how they could justify it. But either way, it is a good introduction a unique distinction between other gods and this true God, and to make the point that this is not about having a temple, that this God who he is going to speak of is a God who is not really interested in temples. He's not interested in having a place to go. He's not interested in having a place where he can be contained or a place where he would focus on his people, that that is not what this God is about. He does not dwell in the temples that are made with hands. He does dwell within a temple. But his temple is not something that is made with hands. His temple is something that he has made with his own hands. And that is you, that is I, that is his born-again believers, that is those people who have chosen to respond to the gospel that he has presented, who have been born again by his Spirit, such that his Spirit now indwells within us to resurrect us and to reside within us, to guide us and lead us into all truth, And to guide us in our daily experiences here in the world that He has created. Instead of having a temple that we go to, we are the temples. He has constructed us to be His temple. And we are not a temple that was made by our own hands. Our God made each one of us personally and individually. He has made us to indwell within. This is our design. And this is very important in order to understand our position with him, our relationship with him, and why he made us. Continuing into Acts chapter 17, verse 25, he says, Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. To suggest that our God does not dwell within a temple that we construct as one thing. But to follow it up with something like this is definitely something else. To say that he is not served by human hands is a very powerful statement, especially in a religious context, because one of the tenets or premises of religion is that we exist for the purpose of serving our God. However, to say that our God is a God who does not need us to serve him, that he is not served by human hands goes completely against religion, completely against religion. It is in total opposition. I do not know of a word that I can use in order to describe the distinct separation between religion and to say that we are not here for the purpose of serving our God, because religion is consumed with trying to get people to serve their God. To do things for their God. To be involved in what their God is involved in. Things like that. To sacrifice those things that are important to them personally. To restrain themselves. To keep themselves from indulging themselves. All of this to make themselves available so that they can perform services for their God. And of course a temple is a wonderful opportunity to provide service for your God because a temple has to be maintained. A temple needs to be serviced in various ways. When you have a house of God, then the house has to be maintained. It has to be paid for. It has to be cleaned. There are many responsibilities that a person would have in order to maintain and keep up with the upkeep and maintenance of a temple. And so there are wonderful opportunities to be of service to your God. But that is not why our God made us. And I realize that many of you may be very concerned about me saying that, but it is true. I sincerely believe that it is true that our God did not create us for the purpose of serving Him. Because He doesn't need our service. He has no need for our service. He doesn't need anything. What are we going to produce and present to Him that He is really going to be able to make use of or that He is going to be impressed by? Think about it. Everything that we have here in this world, everything that we have on this earth, is His. He has made it all. What are we going to take and offer up to Him that we think doesn't already belong to him. And what do we think we're going to obtain by that? Are we going to get his favor from doing that? Is he going to be happy with us? Is he going to be pleased with us because we gave up something that we thought was ours, but actually was his? Is that is that what we're going to do? Is that what our life is going to be about? Is that how you are going to worship your God? No, I'm telling you that there is something very different about this God than any other God. This God is very different. This is a God, the God who is the one who created the heaven and the earth. This God created you so that he can serve you. That's why he created you. But again, he didn't create you so that he could serve you in your flesh. He did not create you so that he could serve you and provide you with an abundance of food to eat or water to drink or anything else to drink. That's not why he created you or to provide you with lots of wealth or to provide you with a wonderful place to live, or anything like that, or to provide you with a wonderful job, that's not why he created you. He created you so that he could serve you with himself, so that he could serve you with his perfect love, so that he could serve you with his acceptance, so that he could serve you by sharing with you who he is as a person, so that he could give himself to you. Not these other things that he has created. He has provided you with a world that you can work in, that you can labor in, and you can, in general, benefit from your labor, from the things that you produce, the things that you earn. But that is not how he serves you. He serves you by giving himself to you. He has given you life. He has given you breath. He has given you all things. And yes, all things in the world that you can make use of. But I sincerely believe that all things refers to something more than just what we have around us. To say that he gives us life and breath and all things, I sincerely believe that that is a complete description of everything that he has given to us for life and for godliness, not just for life here on earth, but for life in eternity, and that he has given us a breath that describes a living experience where we now have a life that will continue and exist throughout eternity. And to say all things, I believe he's referring to all things that are of importance, all things that are eternal in value, all things that we truly need in the deepest part of our being, in the deepest part of our heart. And so when Paul proclaimed this God, he proclaimed a God that was definitely very distinct from the other gods in Athens. This God is a God who does not dwell in temples made with hands. This is a God who dwells in his people, who are temples where he indwells. And this is not a God who is looking to people as a source of service towards himself, that we were not created to be of service towards him, but that he created us and so that he could serve us. This is a very different kind of God. Again, not for the indulgence of our flesh, but for the fulfillment in the deepest part of our heart. That he made us specifically to have specific needs that only he could fulfill. And if we are to ever experience any peace or rest in our own being, The only way that we will ever experience this is through a personal relationship with him. Paul goes on to say in verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Repent from what? They should repent from their unbelief. They should repent from their belief in other gods, other gods who dwell in temples made with our hands, other gods who sincerely believe that we exist for the purpose of serving them. And we are to repent from all of that and acknowledge that there is another God who has put us here, who has put us here for the purpose of serving us, but he wants us to come to him, not just because he is, but for us to come to him because we want to know him, because we want to experience him especially when we see the emptiness that is around us, especially when we see that there truly is nothing in our existence that we know of that will ever meet the deepest needs that we have within us, but that instead we would acknowledge that we have no hope of any kind, for any reason, for any purpose, outside of knowing the person who actually created us to begin with, that he has put us in a position so that we would seek for him, that we would grope for him, and yet he would present himself so that we could find him. If only we would acknowledge who he is and recognize that our life here is not to be a life of being religious, that it is not about trying to restrain ourselves or constrain ourselves from the indulgence of the flesh, but instead to recognize that our life is to be about knowing him and being served by him and receiving all that he has for us Because it is only through the fulfillment of what he has for us that we are going to be able to experience peace and rest in our own heart, and through that peace and rest we will be set free from the temptations of the world that only lead to bondage, not a religious bondage, but to a fleshly kind of bondage, to a painful bondage, to a bondage of pain and suffering of which there is no end to the emptiness therein. And we need to take this very seriously because he continues in verse 30, Therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There will be a day of judgment for each person. He has already judged the world as being guilty and there will be a further acknowledgement of that judgment if you go before him without acknowledging the provision that he has provided for you to be able to escape the judgment that we are all placed under when we first enter into this world. He judged the world in righteousness through the Lord Jesus. That's what he's referring to in verse 31, that righteousness is by definition Belief in our God, as was presented through Abraham, as was presented through Jesus, righteousness is about believing and trusting in the living God. And he fixed a day in which the Lord Jesus came, died for our sins, rose from the dead to establish and codify the righteousness that we have the opportunity to enter into. And if we do not enter into that, then we will be judged accordingly when we go before him in heaven. And so he has granted us an opportunity to be saved. He has granted us an opportunity to be set free from the bondage of sin. And he has given us an opportunity to be set free from the bondage of religion. There is a God who seeks for us to be as free as possible. But the freedom that we have is not a freedom to indulge the flesh. The freedom that we have is a freedom that we experience through the fulfillment That he provides us as he serves us with all that we have a need for in the deepest part of our being. And this is what he has called us to. This is what we are to turn to. This is the message of the gospel. This is the appeal that our God is making in the world today. He is making this appeal in the world today with hope that people will respond, that people will repent from their unbelief to believe in him. To recognize that it's not about themselves and is not about a God of their own creation or a God of their own imagination. But the true and living God is reaching out to everyone in the world, calling them to himself, calling them to himself, not for the purpose of trying to get them to serve him, but calling them to himself for the purpose of being able to serve them so that they can be transformed and changed into a new creation, into a child of his that will be a part of his family for all eternity. Look, let me make this very clear. Your God does not want your money. Your God does not need your money. Your God does not want your service. He has no need for your service. He doesn't want you to build a temple for him. He does not want you to build a church building for him. Now if you do these things, if you offer money for the propagation of the gospel, if you offer your services to assist in building a church, that's fine. But do not look at these things as an opportunity to obtain favor from your God. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your possessions. He wants you. That's what He wants. He doesn't want your service. He doesn't want your activity. He wants you. He doesn't want a temple to dwell in. He wants you to be his temple to dwell in. He doesn't want a church building. He wants you to be his church. That's what he wants. He doesn't need you to provide him with a building that's some kind of a porthole for him to come down from heaven and dwell within, that we call him down from heaven. Lord, please come and bring your Holy Spirit to us. Dwell among us, and so we have you here so that you can have the opportunity to reach out to whoever we were able to bring into this temple. That's not what he is doing, folks. He is using you. He dwells within you so that he can interact with the world around you as you go in and interact with the world that he has made. He is interested in using your hands to touch with. He wants to use your feet to walk with. He wants to use your mouth to reach out to others so that others might come to know him. But in order for this to be real, you first have to be the recipient of what he has for you. You first need to abide in, trust in, rely on, have faith in what he has for you. You need to receive what he has for you. You need to allow him to serve you by meeting the deepest needs of your heart. You have a need to be loved. You have a need to be accepted, and there is nothing wrong with these needs. We all have these needs. The problem, of course, is when we go into the world to try to see if we can get the world to meet these needs, that leads to sin. Instead, we need to understand, acknowledge, and receive the love and the acceptance that he has for us. You need to be the recipient of that. You need to enjoy that. You need to rest in that. You need to be at peace with that. And so when you engage the world, you're not preoccupied with engaging the world with what you hope to obtain from the world, but instead you engage the world with the fullness of what you have received, and as you engage the world with that, you share with others what you have received from your God, and through that, he reaches out to them, he touches them, he speaks to them. And they have an opportunity to turn to him, not to you, but to turn to him, to turn to the source, to turn to their God who wants to serve them as he has served you. But if you're so preoccupied with serving him, then you have no opportunity for him to serve you. What are you going to do as you reach out to people? You're going to reach out to people with the same message that you are trusting in, With the same belief that you have, this religion of I am serving God and I feel much better about it. I surely do because I live for a higher purpose and that is to please my God because he needs somebody to be pleased with. And so I'm going to be that person. And now I have purpose in my life. Now I have meaning in my life. And you can have meaning and purpose In your life, too, by living a life of service towards your God so that he can be happy with you and you can then feel loved and accepted because you serve him and because he is pleased with your service towards him. That is not the gospel. That is not how we live our daily lives now. That is religion. That is not a relationship. A relationship with your God has to do with you receiving from him and you sharing with him what you have received from him. What are you going to share with him that is of any value whatsoever that you have not first received from your God? And he is not interested in your productivity. He is not interested in your activity. He is interested in your belief. He's interested in your trust, your reliance on him. And he is interested in you being the recipient of all that he has for you. That is a relationship that can never be experienced under a system of religion under a system of bondage, some system by which you think you can constrain yourself or restrain yourself and so that you are reducing your activity or increasing your religious service so that by some means he might be pleased with you. And so he may cause his face to shine upon you. That's nice, but that is not what he is doing. That is not the ministry that he is conducting here in the world that he has created. The end result of your living a life of trust and dependency And living a life of being served by your God is not an opportunity to indulge the flesh, but it is an opportunity to be at peace and rest so that you can serve other people out of the love that has been given to you, so that others can see a reflection of who their God truly is, so that others may be encouraged to turn to Him and begin to experience a personal relationship with their God as you have.